This podcast was created on Messy. Create your own show today at Messy.fm. Today on the podcast, I'm going to share with you a principle that's helped me think differently about what God delights in and a posture of living that I believe he wants us to embrace daily. This principle has not only changed the way I think about God, but by applying it, I have seen him increase my responsibilities and given me more influence with those around me. I hope that you stick around on today's podcast and God inspires you to apply this principle in your life because I believe if you do, you will see incredible growth in your relationship with Christ and experience success in the work that he has entrusted to you. If you've been following along or you're new to the Culture Bus Tools podcast, I release a new episode on the first of every month. These podcasts are published on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and even Google Play. If the podcast is helpful to you, please share this with others. And if you haven't rated or reviewed the show, please consider doing that today. I would be encouraged. Okay, so let's dive in and talk about the 180 principle. If I was given a chance to sit with you at a coffee shop and get to know you, one of the things I would love to learn about you is what gives you energy um, and renews your focus, or simply what do you delight in? I would be inquisitive to know the things that you enjoy and the things that bring you happiness. You can learn a lot by someone when they answer that. Personally, I love hiking. I love the feeling of being outside. There is a sense of adventure. You don't really know what's coming next and just getting lost in my thoughts. And when I'm hiking with my family or my wife, we have these incredible conversations together and we get to have time away from the normal routine of life. So what gives you joy? What do you delight in? What gives you energy and excitement? What grabs your attention and helps you increase your focus and attention? Let's say I then asked you another question, and that was, what do you think God delights in? We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture today, and I'm going to try and show you that I believe God delights in repentance. Repentance is the complete surrender to God. It's a 180. Though it includes sorrow from one's sin and regret, it's more than that. Think of it as a 180 turn. Now, you might have heard of a 360 turn before. A 360 turn is a full circle where a 180 turn is a half circle. So a 360 turn would be like if you were moving in a certain direction and then you do a complete circle all the way back to that same direction. A 180 turn is when you're moving in a certain direction and you do a half circle. It's like you move and you go in the opposite direction. So our goal today would be to focus our hearts on repentance, the 180 principle. And we're going to do that from the book of Jonah. First, let me give you a recap of the first two chapters of the book of Jonah. Jonah is a book in the Old Testament. It's four chapters long. You could probably read it in less than seven minutes. In chapter one of the book of Jonah, we see God, he gives Jonah an assignment to preach to the city of Nineveh. Now, this was the most powerful empire in that day. There was lots of sin and brokenness. God actually refers to that as wickedness. And God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach to them because their wickedness is so bad that God can't ignore it any longer. And instead of doing what God says, Jonah disobeys. Jonah finds a boat going in the opposite direction of Nineveh, and he runs from God. And God hurls a violent storm that threatens to break the ship apart. The sailors, fearing for their lives, they pray to their false gods, 
and they can't seem to fix the situation. And here we find Jonah. He's asleep in the hold of the boat. And the sailors, they approach him. They learn that he's the culprit at fault. And 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 they, they go to him, and Jonah tells them that the best thing that they can do is to throw himself into the sea, which they end up doing. And sure enough, it causes the storm to stop. Then God arranges a fish to swallow Jonah, where he stays alive in the belly of this fish for three days. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah cries out to God from inside the fish, telling God how sorry he is. And then after Jonah's prayer, God has the fish spit Jonah onto the beach. And then we arrive at chapter 3. And that's where we're going to pick up this story. So listen as I read Jonah chapter 3. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and he took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Now, I don't know about you, if you've ever been given an order to do something. Maybe your boss has, has asked you to accomplish something that you knew would take a lot of effort. Or maybe your dad asked you to go cut the grass or your mom asked you to clean your room. Maybe you've got a teacher who's asked you to prepare for a test the following day. In those moments, you always have a choice. You can either rebel or obey. Recently, my son and I, we watched the Avengers Infinity War. And there's a clip from the Infinity War where the Guardians of the Galaxy crew, they're shown flying through the space. And, and teenager Groot, he's in the back playing a portable video game. And Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord, he asks him to put it away. And he says, hey, man, I don't want to tell you again. And Groot, he fires off this sassy response. You know what he says? Yeah, I am Groot. And everyone has this shocking reaction. And everybody's like, whoa, language. I laughed when I first saw it, but but that's a picture of what rebellion looks like. Rebellion is the opposition to authority, and it begins in our heart. I talked a lot about the heart in episode seven. So if you haven't had a chance to listen, go check that out. Rebellion started in the garden when Adam and Eve first sinned. They chose to rebel by not following God's direction. See, our sinful natures, they do not want to bow to the authority of another, even God. We want to be our own bosses, and that rebellion in the human heart is the root of all sin. Romans 3.23 says that for everyone has sinned, we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. So for Jonah, something different happened in chapter 3 as opposed to chapter 1. He obeyed. 
He did what he was told to do. No arguing, no sassy remarks. And in verse 3, it says that Nineveh was a large city, that it took three days to see it all. Now, I live here in Greenville, South Carolina. I can see most of Greenville in nine hours. Sometimes my family will walk up and down Main Street. There's tons of restaurants and shops here. And there's a really cool waterfall in the middle of the city that's really worth checking out. I can't imagine having three days with my kids to journey through a city like that. But here's the point. There were a lot of people in Nineveh, a lot of things happening. Everywhere you turned in this city, there was wickedness. Every restaurant, every shop. For a prophet, this would have been challenging to see. And God sent Jonah there to announce his judgment. So Jonah gets in this city, and what does he do? It says in Jonah 3, verses 4 through 5, that on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And then what do we see? In verse 5, it says, The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. They obeyed. Jonah is one day into this city. He preaches eight words, and from the richest to the poorest, the entire city changes their posture towards God. They listen to and trust God. Everyone does it, not just a few. This message that had no call to action seems to move an entire city from a state of rebellion to a posture of repentance. How did it happen? What ignited this city to obey? I think it was the 180 principle, and it started with a king. In verse 6 of Jonah chapter 3, it says that when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. So here you have this king. No doubt he is wealthy. He is important. But hearing these verbs, we, we hear him do something that most kings would never do. He steps down from his throne. I mean, this is a picture of humility. Humility is a low self-regard and sense of unworthiness. And then he takes off his royal robes, letting go of the position of honor that he deserves. And then he dresses in burlap, which is a picture of mourning. Why would he wear it? It was a symbol of remorse for his misdeeds or poor behavior. He steps down, he takes off, he dresses in, and then he sits in ashes, which is a picture of sorrow. Why sit in ashes? I think it's a reminder of death. It's a symbol of the sorrow of sin. See, this king, he didn't care about being respected. He didn't care about being held in high esteem. He didn't care what he looked like. He didn't care what he sounded like. This is a great picture of one person humbling himself before the Lord. This is what repentance looks like. This is the 180 principle in action. This picture, it reminds me of something that Jesus said in Matthew 5, where we find the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is not eight words long. Actually, it's the longest sermon of Jesus, and it includes the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, and the central doctrines of Christian faith. The Beatitudes signify supreme blessedness. They were a roadmap for how to obey. In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus teaches on the first Beatitude. It was the foundation for all the other ones. 
In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean when Jesus says that the kingdom of God, it belongs to them? See, poor people, they know they have nothing to offer anyone. They realize they are lacking, poverty-stricken, worse than usual. But see, Jesus, he put a twist on this in, Ma- in this Matthew passage. Colin Smith, um, a pastor that I that I value, and he, he leads at the Orchard Evangelical Free Church in Illinois, he talks about this in a book called Momentum. He says that when you know you have nothing to offer God, you're in a position to receive everything he offers. That's why the blessing of God, it rests on the poor in spirit. Man, I love that. I love how Colin puts that. Repenting is like saying, Lord, I bring nothing to the table and my hands are open to receive everything you offer. Not my will, but your will be done. This is what God delights in. This is the principle of the 180. Now let's look at verses 7 and 9 because the king promotes a reaction in the city that's worth noting. We see in verses 7 through 9 that the king and the nobles, they send out this decree not to eat. So this is similar to fasting. If you don't know what that means, I'd encourage you to learn more. But here is a helpful definition that I've found from John Piper. John Piper says that fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that in itself is good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of the need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. So why fast? Well, it's a practical way to demonstrate humility. Humility demonstrates a posture towards God that says, Lord, I look to you. I have nothing. I am nothing, but you are all that I need. And then look to how God responds in Jonah 3, verse 10. It says that when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Now, imagine the city of Nineveh. All of their animals are hungry. You know, my it reminds me of a, my wife and, and this cat that we have. Um, this cat, it loves my wife. And and when Rachel enters a room, this kitty, which is his name, he, he makes himself known to her. And when kitty is out of food, he meows over and over again until he is fed. And if that cat is hungry and there isn't any food, it is like a kitty bullhorn going off until someone takes care of it. Now imagine the moans and the screams that came from that city, the need for food. Picture it. Listen to the sounds. Imagine their posture. That is repentance. This is what God delights in. This is the principle of the 180. Now what I find fascinating is that the king, the nobles, and the entire city repented, and their act of repentance actually got God's attention and changed his mind. So let me share a couple thoughts as we wrap up. Chapter three is a picture of the justice and love of God. See, God's love and justice, they work in sync together, not opposed to one another. So let me explain. If I was to ask you what justice means, we would get a lot of responses. But here is a simple one. Justice is what you deserve. The wicked people of Nineveh, they deserve God's judgment. Like the king and the wicked people of Nineveh, we deserve the same judgment. We are in the same boat as these people. But here is the good news we call the gospel. Sin brings judgment, but Jesus brings justice. And here would be my first point. 
is that God often interrupts our rebellion with an opportunity to repent and redirect in obedience. See, Romans 5, 8 says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Hearing that should kick off the 180 principle in our lives. Repentance is the complete surrender to God. All you have to do is move towards Jesus. And this leads us to my second point, which I believe that God wants to give you leadership responsibility that draws people to himself. This is a call to all people, no matter your age. This leadership is yours for the taking. It is the call of all men and all women. But here's the deal. You will never create eternal impact in the lives of others unless you practice the first principle on a daily basis. Here we see it started with a pagan king that did a 180. He heard God's words. He believed what God said. He recognized his sin and he took action by turning away from his sin. The entire city moved and benefited from God's love regardless of what they deserved. Now, let me tell you about another king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords who was, is, and ever will be. His name is Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul said, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. See, you and I can follow Jesus' lead because Jesus set the standard of what it means to humble oneself. He made a way for us so that our sin would not be counted against us, and he commissioned us to lead others to do the same. See, sin brings judgment, but Jesus brings justice. It started with repentance, and it begins with us, a daily discipline to 180. This is the good news of the gospel, that even though we deserve God's judgment, he chose to give us Jesus so we could live under the shade of his justice. Man, I pray that you would be someone who follows that, who delights in Jesus and daily demonstrates the principle of the 180. Well, there you have it, guys. I, I hope that you're encouraged by that today. If you want me to discuss a topic on the podcast, or maybe you want me to come to your church or business and provide a collaborative training opportunity for your team, man, I'd love to do that. Shoot me an email or reach out to me on my website. I'd love to help you take a next step. And thanks for joining me today on the Culture Bus Tools podcast. I'll see you next month.